With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Riley drops back, looks, looks, dances, and throws, and he's going deep down the field. Oh, what a catch by Darrell Walker, who skips his way to the end zone. He'll drop it off to Pouillon, twist it back to McDavid, inside to Everly, reshot, score! 3 nothing. Jordan Everly from Connor McDavid, and the Oilers are pouring it on, Craig Anderson and the hapless Senators. And it's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports, with Reed Wilkins, on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chet. <laughs> How does a Game 7 sound? Chicago and St. Louis will decide their first round showdown tonight. Plus, Anaheim will try to eliminate the Nashville Predators. Remember at one point, the Ducks were down 2-0 in that series. A lot of hockey talk tonight. We have the Capitals moving on. Alan May from their broadcast booth will join us. We'll look at both ends of the Panthers-Islanders series. That one ended over the weekend. Randy Moeller... From the Panthers play-by-play booth, Chris King, radio play-by-play voice for the Islanders, will join us as well. We'll catch up on the WHL playoffs. The conference finals started over the weekend. Cam Moon calls the game for the Red Deer Rebels, and uh, this will be fun. Tyson Jost on the show tonight had a big tournament for Canada at the U18 World Championships there in uh, North Dakota. He's going to play for the University of North Dakota. Unfortunately, the uh, tournament did not end well for Canada lost 10-3 to the United States in the bronze medal game. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's 6.08. This is Inside Sports on 6.30 Chet. Thanks for tuning in tonight. I can also tell you that the Blue Jays are underway against the Chicago White Sox. Bottom of the third, the Jays are up 3-1. Brendan Ulrich from Oilers Now sitting in tonight to get us started here on Inside Sports. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Not bad. You, your Capitals, your favorite team, your favorite Eastern Conference team. Is that the correct way to call well, them? Well, I'd say it's my favorite team, yeah. You watch, how'd, you, how'd you become a Capitals fan again? I don't you like that they just had their names spelled out on their jersey? <laughs> no. no confusing logos. I just know exactly what they're called. All I have to do is read the front. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't have a lot to do with winning, I'll tell you that. It had a lot to do with Ovechkin as a kid when I was playing growing up. I just I loved Ovechkin. I loved watching him in the World Juniors for Russia, and then of course he got drafted by Washington, I was like, okay, this is my team. I ended up picking number eight as my number in hockey as well, so I don't know. What do you that's, think? That's... How young were you when Ovechkin got drafted well, into the league? Well, I was I was a 30-year-old man already. I was in my teens, but I was still playing hockey at the time, and I thought he was cool. I, guess, I don't know. I'm young and mature, I guess. Those, well, he are, is... those are reasons to watch a team. Now, and plus, the Oilers, at that, basically my entire bringing up, they haven't been very good. So right. it leads fans around Edmonton. It, around my age to cheer for other teams. To which have is an, why yes. there's so many Blackhawk fans right to now. To have an alternate favorite or a or a second favorite yeah. or, or whatever. Uh, well, and the teams. I mean, I can remember when the Houston Rockets had a lot of fans. <laughs> remember when they won back to back NBA titles? Makes sense. In yeah. between what quiz for Brendan? 
Oh, geez. In between the going. in between what teams? Two, oh, three, the Bulls. In between yeah, the Bulls, okay. it was the Rockets in uh, '94, '95. Yeah. Anyway, uh, all right. So now, what was your nerve level? Your level of nervousness, or as I like to say, did you have the worry pants on? Did you have your worry pants hiked right up to your to your breast level? Because uh, <laughs> worry pants are always rugby pants, and you can really hike them right up. Uh, you, you probably don't know what rugby pants are. They're really comfortable, though. Um, <laughs> so anyway, how worried were you after they lose one nothing in Game 5 when they outshot them 44-11 and lost? And then they're going back to Philly. Well, you know, Neuvirth looked unbelievable, and I started to remind me of Yaroslav Halak when uh, he shut them down when the Cavs played the Habs back then. So I, I was worried. Um, I was worried it was going to go to Game 7 because the Caps always seem to go to Game 7. I think it was five series before yesterday that went to Game 7. So that's what I was most worried about because in a Game 7, anything can happen. Um, and Neuvirth was playing so good. The Caps, for whatever reason, whenever they get down, it seems like... They, they can't get out of it. It's been like that in the Ovechkin era, but Barry Trotz has them playing a different style than they played in the past. It seems like they're comfortable in these low-scoring games. They don't panic, and uh, they end up getting it done. And it, it was similar to the way they beat the Islanders in Game 7 last year in the playoffs, so a, a low-scoring game where they just sort of waited it out, and in the end they got the big goal. Well, Braden Holtby, I, I brought this up last week, and, and the more I think about it, I'm starting to talk myself into something here. And I, I don't have a vote, right? It's the hockey writers who get the vote. So I, I don't have a vote. Is is Now, and obviously, the playoffs don't factor into the regular season voting. Is is, is Braden Holtby your... Is, I think Patrick Kane's going to win the Hart Trophy. Is Braden Holtby actually the MVP this year? I think he should be in the top three. Yeah, I'd say it's between those two. I mean, you look at the other forwards. There's a Jamie Van Ovechkin. Guys like that are pretty close. But uh, Kane's separated from the rest of the forwards by getting the 100 points. Where Holtby impresses me is the fact that he tied Martin Bordeaux's re- record. Right. Anytime someone ties a record like that, that's, you know, I think it was 96-97 that Bordeaux said it. Um, I have to look back. But still, you tie a record like that, it's impressive. And he played less games than Bordeaux did when he got to 48 wins. Right. Um and what Jonathan Quick had forty wins, the next uh, closest uh, goaltender, beat after or behind Holpe. So something like that happens, and I think he deserves to be in the top three. And I'd say it's neck and neck between him and Patrick Kane. Although it seems for whatever reason goaltenders don't win the Hart Trophy. Well, Price won it last year. So do you want to do it twice in a row? I think the NHL. I, I, right. Some that. people argue well they have their own trophy yeah, so to win. So Price won it. Uh, I mean Theodore won it. Right. Hasek won it. So that's what those those are the only four in the last Hasek yeah. won it twice, right? Four times in the last twenty years without looking it up. Uh well, the I, other thing is if the Caps didn't run away with the President's trophy so early, you wonder how many more wins Holtby would have had because he wasn't playing as much. He was getting back to backs off. It wasn't like they were fighting for a playoff. And he spot. had a really bad week late in the yeah. season. I know that because it cost me my <laughs> fantasy hockey playoff game. Maybe uh, got fifty. <laughs> uh well I think with the argument with Kane is in this era, who gets that many points, right, and wins yeah. the scoring race by by as wide a margin as he did. But Holtby, I think, is is the best goalie in the NHL. Now, Price didn't play a full season. It's interesting to see who Canada will... We're getting ahead of ourselves a bit here. But it's interesting to see who Canada will wind up playing at the World Cup in the fall. I mean, I would play Holtby. 
I, I, I would put Holtby in because you're going to have Price coming back and who knows how he's going to be feeling. I think at least Holtby gets the first game. Well, especially if, what if the Caps win the Stanley Cup? You almost have to go with Braden Holtby. Yeah, there. what if he wins the <laughs> Conn Smythe Trophy? So, yeah, you can uh, throw that out there. By the way, I said 96 was 2006-7 that Brodeur set the record, so it wasn't that long. Oh, ago. sorry, okay. Thanks, so, thanks for I looking it up. I just thought I'd clarify that. No, that's good. That's, uh, that's good to know. Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Of course, you can always text us at 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. The uh, email, inside sports at 630chad.com. You mentioned the Capitals... Playing all those game sevens. Well, how about this for Troy Brower? Now with the St. Louis Blues, this is the seventh straight series he's played in that has gone to seven games. I know a lot about game sevens and and uh, the fun that they are, the intensity that they bring, uh, how it uh, brings out everybody's uh, best game and on both sides. And uh, they're fun to play and they're fun to watch. So in 2011, he was a Chicago Blackhawk, played in a game seven, played two with the Capitals in 2012. One with the Caps in 13, missed the playoffs in 14, two with the Caps last year. Now he plays one with the Blues tonight. And uh, it might be time for uh, Troy Brower to step up and score a goal. He doesn't have a goal in this playoffs, and he didn't with the Caps last season. Now, you pretty games. much single-handedly, you blamed him for single-handedly causing the no. Capitals not to win the Stanley Cup last year. He's a, he's a good player, but you're playing with skilled players, and he gets chances. You just can't bury them. How And the fact that he's getting more ice time than Vladimir Tarasenko in this series is mind-boggling. I know he plays penalty kill in other situations, but still, Tarasenko leads the series in goals. Give him more ice time, Hitch. And maybe we'll see that tonight. This is a big one for the Blues. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, another, another <laughs> year where they could be out in the first round. And then this one would per- perhaps be the biggest sting of them all where they had Chicago down and it looked yeah. like they'd figured them out that they have a deeper team. But, I mean, in this, in, in, you just look at these teams, and I've talked about this before. So, somebody texted me when the playoffs started and said, now that I see this, it was a, a loyal texter. He goes by the, the uh, handle Yellowhead Drinker. So I don't, I don't know how much he's drinking while texting the show. But he, but he, he said... When you watch the playoffs, it makes me think the Oilers aren't three to five players away. It makes me think they're about 12 to 15. Now, now you know, obviously players step it up in, in, in the playoffs. But you look, I mean, just this this morning I saw Chicago's lines tweeted out after the morning skate. I mean, Marion Host is on their third line. I mean, what what a luxury. Now, granted, the Oilers had Neil Yakupov on their third line throughout much of the season, but he never produced like a guy on the top two lines. And, and it's just another indication of the the depth and the reliability that has to be filled out on this Oilers roster. Well, I think Andrew Ladd's on the third line as well tonight for Chicago. That was the last I seen anyway. And then you have the Blues. I mean, they basically have two second or third lines, but Steen, Stastny, Brower, one line, Fabry, Berglund, Backus, the other line. So, yeah, the Oilers are far away from all those teams. And we know they'll get a top five pick. If they get a top three pick, that's a forward you can add in. That gives them more forward depth, but that likely means somebody else gets traded. And if they trade someone, I I really think they need to find a way to replace that player, especially if they're moving for a defenseman. Maybe that's in free agency or another trade. But we talk about how they need to improve the defense, Reed. They also need at least two or three forwards to make that roster become a playoff team. Yeah, we'll touch more on that when we get back. No score early, about three minutes in between Anaheim and Nashville. It's 6-17 inside sports on 6-30 Chet. This 
is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. All right, so the Ducks and the Predators are uh, already underway. Six and a half minutes in, no score. Shots are 3-1 Nashville. The Ducks are up 3-2 in the series. Game seven between the Blues and Chicago will start in about uh, 15 or 20 minutes. We will keep you updated throughout the evening here on Inside Sports. We're with you until 9 o'clock. Alan May from the Washington Capitals broadcast booth is going to join us after the 6.30 news. That'll be fun to catch up with Alan as the Capitals have moved on past the Flyers. Along with Brendan Ulrich, I'm Reed Wilkins. Thanks for tuning in tonight. You know, you were talking about the, the Oilers finding a, a defenseman, and really they need more than one. And somebody texted in last week and said, you know, there are so many holes on this team. There are, and you and I talked last week when you sat in too. I I don't think there's a lot of significant help coming from the minors. You could maybe argue there's depth help, but even that might be a bit of a stretch, especially up front, I think. Though we'll see. You never know. But but here's the thing. This is a team that has finished, forget... Well, I'm not asking you to forget it, but let's don't think about the, the the decade thing for a while. Think about the last seven years. Six of them they've been in the bottom three. So it's not just out of the playoffs; it's distantly out of the playoffs. That's that's not a team that is a player or two away from jumping into the top sixteen. But I I think Brendan, they just they're going to start with a defenseman because I think that will make the most impact. And if you look at last summer, I think that Peter Shirelli said. Okay, I'm actually starting with a goalie because I think he believed in Cam Talbot, and I think he believes he has Cam Talbot being a good goalie going forward. So, I mean, Shirelli's never come out and said it this way, but I think for him it's kind of a three-step off-season plan. Goaltender, which in his mind I think is done for the time being. You need a backup, but he think he has. I think the Oilers think they have a 60-game starter. Defense this summer, and then you got to round out the forwards. But you're right, the forwards are not deep enough or not good enough and okay great I know I look and I I know one of the six million dollars guys have to be traded that's going to create another hole though that's going to create another problem yeah well it depends where the pick is right so if they, they get Matthews and they they can trade one of the centers but then they need probably to sign another center and if they trade one of the wingers because they get Liney or Poliari then they probably need to bring in another winger as well and we also likely can't just count on an 18-year-old coming into the lineup and making an impact. So, if you, like, the drop-off in Season 1 as a rookie for one of those guys to an Eberle or a Hall or a Nuge is probably going to be pretty significant. So, instantly, they need to upgrade there. And maybe they, they do sign a free agent, and there are some guys out there like a Louis Erickson, a David right. Backus, somebody like that, maybe an Andrew Ladd. Those guys could come in and help. And that would be a, sort of a placeholder for the draft pick if it's if they get line A or Poli Arby. What if they don't get one of those picks? They get fourth or fifth, and then then what happens? They don't have that forward coming in that adds some depth. Well, right, but again, part of the reason they're where they are is because they've and look, a first overall draft pick is is special. And I still think in the cases of Hall and obviously McDavid, but even Hall, like Hall's a really good player. Though I know a lot of people detract from him. He's a really good player. That was a really good first overall pick. The the Yakupov draft is already being panned as maybe one of the worst ever. And uh, the Nugent Hopkins one I don't think was overly deep either. And I think Nugent Hopkins is a a good player. I don't know if he's ever going to be an excellent player. We'll see. He's still pretty young. 
But the, the re- part of the reason they've fallen into this rut is because they've relied on those guys too soon, right? Yeah. And made them, all right, Paul, you're the top left winger. Okay, Nugent Hopkins, you're the top right winger. Okay, Yakpoff, you got 17 goals in a lockout shortened season, so now you better get 30 to 35 every year, right? Go. So it, it takes longer than that to really develop a guy. Um, but I don't know. If, okay, if, if they win the draft lottery and get the first pick for the fifth time in seven years and take Austin Matthews, does that automatically mean you just dangle Ryan Nugent Hopkins and just say, all right, we don't, we don't need this guy anymore? Well, that's... That's hard to say. It depends what you're getting back, obviously. That's a, a big cliche to say. But um, Matthews, I think, would would automatically be their second most valuable player on the roster after McDavid. Really? So, yeah. Sk- skater. Yeah. Like, there's, you don't think he'd be their second most valuable player? I'd put him probably just based on the I, fact I, that he's 18, he's a center, and he's fresh. I think he would be their second biggest asset that Shirelli would have over a Hall or Nugent Hopkins. So... Okay, sure. It would make one of those guys expendable, sure. I would say. Okay, right. I, I, I guess I was looking at valuable, and I'm not, I don't want to overestimate Cam Talbot, but you're nothing without a good okay, goaltender, fair, and yeah. hopefully he's going to be a good goaltender. Well, how big is that to have that problem solved? Now that's one less thing to worry about. Well, I hope it's solved. I mean, it looks relatively solved since the, the, the way Talbot played. So, sure, as, a, as an asset, because he's only 18, you could argue Matthews, is, the, is if they get him, is the second biggest asset. So then are you building around McDavid as piece one, Matthews as piece two, and Dreisaitl as piece three down the middle, or Nugent Hopkins as piece three? I mean, maybe yeah. they draft Matthews. Play him on the wing. Play Leon on the wing. Oh, they play, yeah, they could play Matthews on the wing, though, too. Um, right. Kinnon played on the wing as an 18-year-old. Wouldn't mind that. We'll uh, keep going with this discussion. You can text 63630. Alan May, TV analyst for the Washington Capitals, is going to check in. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chat. All right. 7.30 left in the first period. No score between the Ducks and the Predators. Game 7, Chicago and St. Louis about to get underway, and the Blue Jays looking good tonight, up 5-1 on the White Sox. That game is in Toronto. It is in the bottom of the fourth. Stroman pitching tonight for the Blue Jays. He is 7-0 in his last eight regular season starts. Russell Martin for the Jays, the catcher, day-to-day with neck spasms. A little note from the NBA here. Steph Curry out at least two weeks with a sprained right MCL. He was injured on Sunday. His Golden State Warriors play Game 5 against Houston on Wednesday. They are up 3-1 in the series. The Washington Capitals, my preseason and pre-playoff pick to win the Stanley Cup, have advanced to the second round, and we will bring in their TV analyst, Alan May, to the show. Alan, you're on with Reed Wilkins and Brendan Ulrich tonight. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, good Good to talk to you. Uh, I, you know, I, I have Brendan in studio with me tonight. Uh, he produces Bob's show in the afternoon, and, and he's a big Washington Capitals fan. 
and I said, what was your uh, level of worry after the Game 5 loss? And, and I guess we found out that the uh, the Capitals were, were pretty good with dealing uh, uh, with that Game 5 game where they ran into the wall known as Michael Neuverth, and they, they persevered and got it done. Maybe something we couldn't have said about past versions of this Capitals team. No, certainly you couldn't. And it's, they're just a, a completely different team. It's the, it's the first time in 20-some years that they've had a veteran coach this past two years at Barry Trotz. And it's the first time they've had a full complement of forwards to go with a, a legitimate top four. You really can all, – all six of their D would be able to play – you know, even eight of their D would all be able to play on any NHL team. And then this year they have the best goaltender, in my opinion, in the National Hockey League. So – they have confidence. They play the game differently. I don't think two years ago that you would have anyone in the league or you know anyone who watches the NHL follows it would have thought that the two best defensive teams in the league would be Bruce Boudreaux's Anaheim Ducks and Alexander Ovechkin's Washington Capitals. And you know defense has been defense first all year long here in that series against Philadelphia. They just put the clamps on them yesterday to close out the series, and that's how they played the majority of the season. It wasn't pretty. They just did what they had to do to choke other teams out. And, you know, when you have a good goaltender like that, you have so much more confidence in the way to play a game. This might uh, take you off track a bit here, Alan, but just uh, going back on Holpe here, you can sort of relate into his playoff performance as well because he only had, let in five goals in the six games. But Reed and I were talking about at the start of the show if Braden Holpe deserves MVP votes. And uh, we talked about how Price won it last year. But it seems like maybe the NHL likes to have a Ford win that award. But do you feel like Holpe's performance this season deserves a warrant for MVP? You know what? I I, I, I didn't. I don't really like when the the goaltenders win it myself. I, I thought last year that the press voted. You know, it, it was a foregone conclusion halfway through the season that Carey Price was going to win that trophy. Uh, and as good as Braden's played this year, I, I still think the way that Patrick Kane dominated offensively and you know was a hundred points. Plus, I, I really think he deserves it. But Braden, you know, when it goes to MVPs uh, of the goaltenders, he's definitely the Vezina uh, Trophy winner this year. He has to be. It'd be wrong if he isn't. And the number, the amount of wins that he had, and I'm, I'm telling you, I, I know the Washington Capitals scored a lot of goals this year, but early on in the season, he stole. There was a lot of wins that that they were able to to take the two points that were all on him, and he got them through a lot of difficult times when when the system wasn't. A, you know, 100%, and they had players not playing at their best. He kept them in games when they were outplayed, and, and he's just been absolutely sensational. So and I, I think he should be in the, the, the conversation of the Hart Trophy, but I, I think definitely, you know, I'm not convinced he should be that guy. So I, I would say that, you know, it's got to be Patrick Kane. Alan, a, a lot was made of, of Ovechkin's season in 2013-14 when he scored 51 goals but he was minus 35. And and I know plus minus isn't the most popular stat anymore, but I think when it reaches a number that severe, there's something to it. This year he scores 50 goals and he's plus 21. And and he's been a plus player most of his career. But but framing it maybe in terms of I don't know if bouncing back is the right word from 2014, but but has there been an evolution or a detail or a thoroughness to Ovechkin's game that maybe wasn't present? three, five years ago? Well, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, the year that he had all the minuses, all the top players in this team were minus. And it had to go with the, the system they were playing was absolutely pathetic. And the players were doing exactly what they were supposed to. And then, you know, in every post-game press conference, the coach at the time would come out and 
he changed the rules as to what the, the back check was this time or the, the defenses on coverage. I just thought they were they were very soft. Uh, they, they were the, probably the weakest team to play, uh, easiest team to play uh, when they when they didn't have the puck. And it was really a, a horrible system. And all they did is they put in structure. And the, the biggest thing, and Barry Trotz will be the first one to tell anyone that asks him, that Ovechkin's been the easiest player he's ever coached as far as forwards are concerned. He, and I've said it a thousand times that people that you know covered the team around here said if you put the right plan in place and tell the players and show them what to do, they will do it. There's not too many players in the league that don't listen to their coach or, or won't adhere to the system because you've got to, to worry about what your teammates think, the guys in the room. And you know everyone wants everyone pulling on the same rope. And all they did really in the last two years is they just showed all the players more pressure on the back check when not the forecheck. check. And in the past, they wanted Ovechkin chasing hits all over the ice. Now you'll see him on almost every back check. You'll, you'll see this Thursday night when they start against the Penguins. He will be the high guy in the offensive zone. He won't go into the right winger's corner, and he'll be the first guy pressuring the puck in the back check. And he goes exactly where he's supposed to, and no one had ever showed any of the players here how to do that. So I, I just think it's more about the team, the group effort now. And, you know, that's the first time the team was good in 2010. Uh, but that team was all about scoring goals. This team can win games by choking you out defensively with the, the great goaltending, the, 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 the thought, you know, the, the knowledge of how important it is to play good defense. And then they've got enough talent that when they do get those odd chances to score goals, they, they tend to put them in the back of the net. Just to follow up on Ovechkin, now he has to uh, play the Pittsburgh Penguins and Sidney Crosby. I know everyone's going to be talking about that. Uh, Sidney Crosby, I think, mentioned that it brings out the best of uh, both of them when they play, Alan. Um, I just sort of wonder, as the series goes along against Pittsburgh, if we'll see Ovechkin sort of differ away from some of those things that uh, you've mentioned, the good defensive play, the fact that he's not trying to be offensive all the time, but you wonder if, if Crosby gets off to a hot start or the Penguins go up if they'll try to differ away. Do you strongly feel that Ovechkin has uh, you know, just matured as a player to the point where no matter what's thrown at him, no matter what happens in this series, no matter how much uh, people are going to compare him to Crosby, that he is going to be able to, to play that solid all-around game? Well, you know what, I've seen it for the last two years, him do everything the coaches have wanted, as with all the forwards here. And, you know, the, the, some of the guys that weren't quite on the same page are no longer here, the guys that didn't accept their role. And Ovechkin has sacrificed a lot. He really, he probably could have scored 70 goals this year, you know, if he chased a lot more pucks inside the offensive zone. And, you know, a lot of times on the power play, he, he would put himself in a position where he couldn't take a pass. So it would open up the power play stuff. So, I just think his game has evolved so much with the coaching here, and he understands. He's been a great leader, uh, despite what social media says. That the players follow him, they listen to him. Uh, if you saw how we prepped before a game, you'd be in shock. And you know, the, the guy's something else. And, and I just think as this series goes on, they understand the Capitals have to stay out of the penalty box, and they've got to be the better defensive team because right now, in my opinion, the, the Pittsburgh Penguins are by far the best offensive team in the National Hockey League since Mike Sullivan took over, and they play a very fast game, and I, I think Ovechkin knows that you know, they, they've really got to play a great system without the puck to win this series. Alan May, television analyst for the Washington Capitals, joining us on Inside Sports tonight. It will be the Caps and the Penguins coming up in uh, a round two. So, uh, I, I mean, look, Alan, it's, it's, it's not a Crosby-Ovechkin showdown, but on the marquee, and probably especially on, on American television, 
maybe it's going to be built as a, as a Crosby Ovechkin showdown. For from that from that point of view, um, I mean, how much fun is this going to be for you to watch? Because you know you're an ex NHL or you're a broadcaster, but at heart. You're you're a hockey fan. Is this is this the ultimate individual matchup that can happen in the game right now? Well, I think you want to see these types of matchups. And you look at you know Sidney Crosby is my pretty much my favorite player to watch in the National Hockey League. And you know, you know even though I'm a Washington Capital and you know a former player here, we're all expected to hate the Pittsburgh Penguins. And you know from all the series in the past and the regular season line brawls and what have you, there's a lot of hatred between the two franchises, but. You know, Sydney. I, I believe this year at the start of the year, you know, I, I actually had his back when everyone was saying, well, it looks like he can't play the game anymore. The team was off to a bad start. And it just goes to show when you don't have the right coach for a team, it, you know, it really affects the players. And I, I just think having Sydney playing at the highest level that I've seen him play at in years is the greatest thing that we can have. And then Ovechkin still scoring goals, still playing physical, being a better all-around player. I, I just think that, that it's spectacular. But the great thing about both these teams is they have a lot of really good players to complement them now. And, you know, you look at Washington, you've got down the middle, you've got uh, Baxter first, and then you've got Kuznetsov, you know, two incredible players. Pittsburgh has Crosby, it has Malkin. Uh, you know, then you have Benino over there who, who's doing a spectacular job with Kessel and Carl Hagelin. So there's so many great storylines in the series. The players that they added through trade to Pittsburgh have really helped out and, you know, Washington, for the most part, they've done one of my favorite things, and I always used to love when Glenn Taylor would do this. You know, they basically kept their, their roster the entire year. They didn't go through 30 players or 40 players and trade all the time to, to make sure that they had that loaded-up roster. And, you know, for the most part, you know, the Caps have stuck with everything they've, they've had and needed. They had a depth with Mike Weber and Daniel Winnick at the deadline. But, you know, they didn't go and do a wholesale change like the Florida Panthers brought in so many different players at the end of the season and backfired on them as it backfires on all teams. But, you know, there's a lot of great storylines. Matt Murray, the goaltender for Pittsburgh, uh, going against Braden Holpe. And, you know, it, it, I, it's going to be a spectacular series. And I honestly, as much as I, I, I really want the Capitals to win this round, uh, for the sake of working, it, it's uh, I would love to see it go seven games like you know, the treat we're in store for tonight when we get to see Chicago and St. Louis, two teams that absolutely have been annihilating each other for, for about 50 years. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's just good for hockey. It's really good for hockey when you have rivals playing against each other. Just a, a quick one to wrap up, Alan. Um, for Matt Nis- Niskanen and uh, Brooks Orpik, they're playing their former team. Is there an update uh, on Orpik as of the capture pair for this series? Yeah, well, he did travel with the team Saturday to Philadelphia, uh, did, did a couple days of workouts there, and then today he skated with the strength coach here. It was an off day for the rest of the team, but all the uh, black aces and, and the uh, injured guys were all skating, so he was out there. So we'll know tomorrow morning. They hit the ice at 1030, and I expect Brooks Orpik to be on the ice and paired up with his normal partner. All right. Well, this is going to be fun, Alan. Thanks a lot for the update. Great stuff about uh, the Capitals' season so far. It's always great to have you on the show, man. Yeah, thanks a lot. Take care, guys. That is Alan May checking in tonight, Washington Capitals television analyst with Comcast Sportsnet. By the way, the head coach of the thirteen fourteen Washington Capitals, you remember who it was, Adam Oates, who he... Politely declined to uh, mention his name, but didn't speak very highly of, to say the least. Yeah, well, Adam Oates is an offensive coach, and the Caps have been this offensive team for years, Reed. So 
I think Barry Trotz is really sort of, as we've all know, sort of, you know, help this team find their balance. And Allen talked a lot about, yes, the Caps can score, but for the most part, they're a defensive team. They're comfortable in those low-scoring games, and that's how they win games, behind Holpe and that defense. So. I st- but I still say a lot of that comes from the goaltender. Oh, well, I mean, you fair. don't have that without the goal. I mean, he, he, he's, one of, he's in the camp where the goalie shouldn't win the Hart Trophy. Yeah, that's interesting. Which is a defensible art. It's like pitchers on the side, or, or the pitchers and the MVP, right? They have the Cy Young. But, but still, I think Holtby allows them to play that way. Right? I mean, you have to still be sure that your goalie is going to be there. And St. Louis scores exactly one minute into the first period. Point shot by Jay Bomeister. I'm not sure if it was deflected or not, but we have a quick start for St. Louis tonight in Game 7. Quick timeout. More with Brendan Ulrich from Oilers Now. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 So the official on the goal is Laterra from Bo Meester and Schwartz, and St. Louis gets an early 1-0 lead on Chicago. In the history of Game 7 in the NHL, the team that scores first is 119-42. and So take that for what it's worth. No score, Nashville and Anaheim after the first period. That is Game 6. Along with Brendan Ulrich, I'm Reed Wilkins, Chris King. Play-by-play voice for the New York Islanders coming up as we'll take you around the uh, NHL a bit tonight. We'll talk a little bit about the Western Hockey League, too. And Tyson Jost, Canada's star player at the Under-18 World Hockey Championship. He's ready to go play at the University of North Dakota. He's on later on tonight. All right. Bo Meester point shot. Laterra gets the tip. Yeah, that's almost how this game will be won, I'd say. It seems like both teams love the point shots. With Keith. Oh, what a play. Oh, oh he missed oh. the net. It looked like the guy was celebrating from the corner of my eye. Backdoor pass by the Blackhawks. And was that Shaw that shot it? Missed it. I don't know. Oh, it might have been Panarin, actually. That was Panarin. Wow. Panarin had about half the net. Sharp angle. But he must have shot it right through the crease and out the other side. Glorious opportunity not converted there. Uh, all right, 780-496-0063. You can also text 63630. St. Louis with the uh, one nothing lead. Brendan Ulrich and Reed Wilkins with you on Inside Sports. So uh, the draft lottery is coming up on Saturday. We will have uh, special coverage. Let you know what happens, uh, where the Oilers are uh, going to pick. So we'll have some uh, pre-draft lottery lead-in and then uh, have reaction uh, as well. We'll take some phone calls. That'll be Saturday. We're just we're still working on nailing down exactly when we're going to sign on, but it'll be around five five thirty, and uh, we'll be on after the the lottery is held. Uh, and what's interesting well. about that is I think everyone wants the others or other fans would love them to win one of those three lottery spots. Sure. But it's almost more interesting for us as media people if they get the fourth or fifth pick because then you're like, what the hell are they going to do? Or what the heck are they going to do? <laughs> because there's a lot of options that become available at those spots. Yeah. I could, I mean, I could see them. I I could surely see them trading four or five. Yeah, I think you have to. If they pick one, two, or three, you almost have to keep those picks or that pick. Right. 
Well, what if Matthew says he's going to stay in Switzerland? <laughs> then you trade down. Are we getting to you try to trade down to an American city that Matthews wants to play for? Maybe it's Arizona. Who gets a second? I don't know. The Panarin chance. Wow. Off Elliott's shoulder, and then I think it skittered off the top of the crossbar. He. It was a tough angle. He was only about a foot in front of the icing line. But a little little surprised that he didn't finish it. But didn't Matthews say, or Croft, Mark Crawford, who I think said you had he'll play the Oilers broadcast, and that's the thing. Anywhere. Most guys just want to play in the NHL. I, I'm sure. I'm sure deep down they would all have a favorite team or two that they would like to play to play for. Hey, I'm sure Connor McDavid would have loved at the time would have loved to have been drafted by the Leafs, right? Or would have loved for the Leafs to win the draft lottery. But he's not stupid. He knew the. I mean, he knew the odds. And that's see, that's the interesting thing about the draft lottery. People often ask me, "Who do you think is going to win the draft lottery?" I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 ping pong balls. Even it's, a twenty percent chance is tough. Like one in five. Yeah, the Leafs the Leafs have an eighty percent chance yeah. of not finishing first overall, or, or sorry, of not drafting first overall, and that's and that's why they've done it this way. So finishing last doesn't guarantee you the pick. And look. The Oilers finished last two years in a row. And the second year benefited from the lottery rules being different than they are now. Because they did not win the draft lottery the year they drafted Ryan Nugent Hopkins. New Jersey did, but they could only move up, uh, what was it, four spots, right? And then recently, the last two years, Buffalo has finished last and has not fin- and has not picked first overall. And that's what the league wants. Now... It's just because the Oilers haven't been able to dig out of this hole that they're involved in every single draft lottery with good odds, right? But um, th- this is this is what the league wants. They don't because even when, when the Oilers uh, got Hall and Yakupov, or pardon me, when they got Hall, they only had a twenty-five percent chance of winning the lottery, but they had like a forty-eight percent chance of retaining the top pick, right? But now. Who knows? And then the Leafs could drop all the way down to fourth. Yeah, I love it. It uh, prevents tanking, number one, obviously. Um, well, it doesn't prevent tanking. Well, okay, that's fair. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't, no gu- it doesn't guarantee that, uh, yes. Like, what's the point? Do you have 20% chance, or what What are the Oilers' chances? 12.5, is that what it is? 13.5. It's not, it's not well, much different. And last year, when they won some games under Todd Nelson, and they went up from 30th yeah, to 28th, pe- people were mad because they didn't finish last. And then it turned out they finished in the exact perfect spot to get Connor McDavid. Brendan, thanks for sticking around, buddy. What's on Oilers now tomorrow? Uh, we will have Craig Simpson on tomorrow. Um, Joe Haggerty hacks with Hags. It sounds like Boston is still better about not making the playoffs. For whatever reason, I like to bring up Shirelli's name still. In He's Boston. getting blamed, eh? Just move on. Don Sweeney didn't do a good job this season with what he brought in. So Well, well Shirelli didn't trade Lucci, no, did he? Exactly. So we'll talk with Hagerty about that, and I believe we're going to look at some of the teams that have a chance to to win uh, that first overall pick. One of those teams, the Vancouver Canucks, so we may talk to Vancouver tomorrow as well. That's Brendan Ulrich, Chris King from the Islanders broadcast team up next. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.